Our scripture today comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. The next day, as John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means a Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word for us today. Friend, if I was to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say back to me? Does, does it mean to believe in God or to go to church or to read your Bible? Is a Christian someone who is, by definition, narrow-minded or homophobic or only votes for the Republican Party? Does Christianity mean trying to be a good person or practice the golden rule or, or affirm people no matter what they say they believe? Well, I, th I think our culture has all kinds of notions, right, <laughs> about what it means to be a Christian. And, and quite frankly, churches are filled with people this morning 
who have all kinds of different notions <laughs> of what it means to be a Christian. But regardless of your instinctive answer, consider this, friend, what you think it means or what I think it means doesn't matter a hill of beans. What matters is what God says it means. Okay? Why is that? Because the simple fact that you or I think something does not make it true. Ever. What makes the answer to a question like the one I ask true is whether it conforms to what God says is true. Because he is the truth and he defines the truth and he reveals the truth. And so the best way to answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? It isn't to kind of if you consider yourself one, look back on your experience. Well, to me, it means dot, dot, dot. Or to recall what you've observed in someone else's life. That can be helpful. That has its place. But, but friend, the best way to know what it means to be a Christian is to open your Bible where God says what it means. Start there. And the, the big question that, that the entire book of John, Gospel of John, sets out to answer, as I've said before, is who is Jesus? And, and there are some mind-shattering answers to that question in the second half of the Gospel of John chapter 1. But the author of the fourth Gospel also does something here, something else, as Jesus begins his public ministry. He helps us learn, he begins to teach us how we ought to respond to Jesus in light of who he is. Do you see that? We need to know who is Jesus. But you know what else we need to know? How ought I to respond to him or relate to him or engage with him in light of who he is? Which is another way of saying John begins to teach us what it means to be a Christian. And what we learn here, friend, is not, don't hear what I'm not saying, the, the sum total of everything God requires from us as Christians. But it is the essence of our faith, okay? It, it's the fountainhead from, from which Everything else in the Christian life springs and flows. It's the foundation of Christianity that we don't leave behind or move on from, but whether we keep going deeper and deeper and further and further the longer we've been a Christian. Think of this as a lifelong pursuit that if you want to be a Christian, you must never abandon and it's this, to be a Christian is to know and follow Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, for that is who he really is. That's the answer. 
And John presses home that claim by telling us a story here, a story from the first week of Jesus' public ministry where a variety of different men each have encounters with Jesus and become witnesses to Jesus. And there are going to be places in John's gospel as we work through this where I think it's helpful to kind of walk chronologically through a passage verse by verse. There are other places where I think it's more helpful to, to read the whole account like we did and then kind of put on our, our parachute, as it were, and, and drop into different places and just look at some of the repeating themes that come up like, like circular patterns over and over again. So we're, we're going to take approach number two today with this passage and learn from the experience of these men what it actually means to be a Christian. So what, what lessons or themes point us in the right direction here. Lesson number one, Jesus knows and pursues us. He knows us, he pursues us. You know, I've talked with enough people, both Christian and non-Christian about God over the years that, that I think many of us can think of God as, as some sort of spiritual force out there who, who's doing his God thing, Right? And we're just one of seven billion some data points in God's great big Excel spreadsheet. And, and given that, or given we feel like that's true, you know, relating with him might feel as crazy or implausible as, do you remember Will the Krill from Happy Feet 2? The little krill in the ocean. Some of you kids just suddenly popped up and looked at me. Yeah, little krill in the ocean. He thought he could engage with the leopard seal, with a whale, like, like we're going to do relationship with these other creatures. Of course he couldn't. But, you know, we, we can feel like that toward God. You know, he's out there doing his God thing, and I'm, I'm just kind of will the krill. Maybe he wound up the universe, but he's certainly not engaged with my life. And over and over again in this passage, friends, Jesus just shatters that notion. He he keeps demonstrating an incredible awareness and an intimate knowledge of everyone around him. So so in verse 35, look there. John the Baptist, not not John who wrote the gospel, but John the Baptist, he, he sees Jesus walking by and he says to two of his followers, guys, look. It's the Lamb of God. It's the one who will sacrifice himself to deal once and for all with a sin that separates us from God. And one of those two guys was Andrew, and the other disciple remains anonymous. And when they hear John's witness to the truth about Jesus, did you notice what happens? When John says, hey, check it out, that's who Jesus is. Oh, interesting. Hey, do you got any food? No, what what happens? They leave John the Baptist and start following Jesus. Literally, like Jesus is walking, they start walking. And and they haven't said anything to him, right? They don't don't even seem to fully understand who he is. They, They just find themselves strangely drawn to him. So what do you imagine Jesus would do. What what would you expect to read next? Verse 38. I thought about this. And Jesus kept moving along 
because he was a man on a mission and he had more important things to do than deal with yet another groupie. No, look at verse 38. Jesus turned. He turned. The entire story of redemption in the Bible is bound up in that single word. He turned. Not too big, not too important. Not big, better things to do. He turned and saw them following and said to them, guys, what are you seeking? We're going to come back to that question in just a minute, but but for now, friend, consider this, okay? From, From the first moment you begin moving toward Jesus, guess what? He sees you. And he knows you. He's aware of you. Jesus isn't hiding behind a door that says committed followers only. He's not waiting for you to interrupt him. Okay, preoccupied with greater matters. Rather, you you begin drawing near toward him. You you start taking even tentative steps of relationship toward him. And what happens? Jesus begins drawing near to you. What a comfort that is, friend. If you're exploring Christianity or, or you're trying to figure out who is this Jesus that my friend or my boyfriend or my family member just keeps telling me about, know that even now Jesus sees you and knows you. You, you might feel like a mystery to yourself, but, but who you are and all the circumstances of your life, that's not a mystery to Jesus, What what does he say in verse 47? Look there. When he sees Nathanael coming toward him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I mean, Nathanael had yet to meet Jesus, right? But Jesus already knew Nathanael. He, He knew his character. He knew the the genuine desire in his heart to follow the Lord. And when Nathanael expresses his shock in verse 48, how do you know me? (laughs) You know, like, have we met before? (laughs) What does Jesus say? Verse 48, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You saw me? And Nathaniel immediately realizes he's, he's not talking to an ordinary man, right? He's, he's not talking to an ordinary rabbi. He realizes the Messiah himself is standing before him. And, and I want you to notice, friend, what is it that clued Nathaniel into that reality? It was the fact that Jesus had supernatural knowledge of the smallest details of his life. And friend, Jesus hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. No matter where you stand in relationship to him right now, the the ascended Christ sees you. 
and knows you. Nothing about you is hidden from him. He, he knows where you are in the present. He knows what you've been doing in the past. And listen, for all who come to him, he knows exactly what he will make you into in the future. Look at verse 42. I, I love what Jesus says when, when Andrew brings Simon to him. So, you are Simon the son of John. I mean, isn't that the sort of thing that you say when when you finally get to meet somebody that you've heard about for a long time? It's like, so, you're my daughter's boyfriend. (laughs) You know, you've heard these things. You know who they are, but but you have yet to meet them face to face. I mean, think about this. Jesus created Simon in his mother's womb. He knows Simon better than Simon knows himself. And yet now for the first time, he gets to meet him face to face as God incarnate, God in human flesh. And, And what does he say to Simon? Look back at verse 42. What's the first thing he says? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, or or literally, the rock. I don't know if whenever you've met somebody, you've ever had the audacity to say, hey, great to see you. I'm going to rename you right now. (laughs) I don't recommend that. But in the first century, if you did that, it was because it was an expression of your authority over somebody and a way of describing their character. And so, so by calling Simon Peter or the rock, J- Jesus reveals that he doesn't just know Simon for who he is right now. He knows Simon for who he is going to make him into by his grace. That the apostolic leader, Right? Upon his confession, Christ Jesus would build his church. And and so the the first lesson, the first theme here is is whether you're far off or near, whether you're ignorant or interested, Jesus knows us and Jesus pursues us that he might fashion us into exactly who he's created us to be. And and I love that the simplicity, that the beauty of what happens in verse 43 to illustrate this. Look there. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Well, why would he do that? It wasn't a happening place. I mean, Jerusalem, Judea is in the south. Galilee's kind of up on the frontier. Well, because there's someone he already knows in Galilee. Though they have yet to know him. He's going to find a man named Philip. Why? So that Jesus can ensure that Philip fulfills God's purposes for his life. Praise God for that, friends. Right? That that Jesus' knowledge of us is perfect and his pursuit of us is decisive. So when you feel invisible to God and the rest of the world, remember this. Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. When your son or daughter is, is struggling with their faith, Jesus sees them. Jesus knows them. When you're struggling or fighting with sin, 
And you're tempted to see yourself as damaged goods. Remember, Christian, Jesus doesn't just see you for who you are. He sees you and knows you for who you are becoming by his grace. And so before you come to Jesus, Philip, as you come to Jesus, Andrew, after you've come to Jesus, Peter, take heart in this. Jesus knows us and he pursues us to fulfill his good purposes for us. That's the first lesson. That's amazing. Lesson number two, Jesus invites us to know and follow him. So he knows and he pursues us, but he doesn't stop there. He invites us to know and follow him. Think about this. The essence of Christianity, alluded to that earlier, is not doing good things for God or getting God to do good things for you. It's far better than that. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. You know, religious people look to Christianity for all kinds of things. We can look to Christianity to give us a a sense of belonging and a fragmented culture. We can look to Christianity to to strengthen our self-esteem. We we can look to Christianity to kind of get an extra dose of health and prosperity in this life. Uh, You you can look to Christianity to, maybe it's why you brought your kid this morning, you know, to to get a moral foundation for your children. Or, Or we can look to Christianity as, as the key to finding a prospective mate. You know, there are times I've met someone coming into the church and, well, brought you here? And, well, you got any single ladies around here? I'm like, whoa! <laughs> Look out, ladies. <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> Friends, the options, honestly, are as endless as our idols. Right? But the critical question <laughs> is whether we are looking for what God actually desires to give us and ultimately what we need more than anything else. What is that, friend? What what does God desire to give you? What is the one thing you need more than anything else? It's this. You need the unspeakable joy of knowing and following Jesus. That's what you need. And and, and did you catch that? That growing understanding, desire in Andrew's reply. A desire that Jesus implicitly affirms when he invites him to come and see. So so they want to be near him, right? They want to be with him. And Jesus says, come and see. So they what? Came and saw and stayed. Came, saw, stayed. And that screams that your greatest need in life is not a bigger house or a sexier body or a longer vacation or compliant kiddos or or a spouse who's actually willing to listen to you. The the greatest need in your life that that outshines all other joys and, and comforts all our sorrows 
is an intimate relationship with Jesus where, where your soul is increasingly satisfied with his goodness and his glory. And did you notice when, when people start getting close to Jesus in John 1, what, what's the first thing that happens? They, they immediately just begin to marvel. I mean, it's like bubbling over. They're, they're just kind of erupting with the wonder of who he is. So, so what does Andrew say? Peter, we've found the Christ, the Messiah. The, the one who fulfills all the promises of God in the Old Testament. Promises to redeem and rescue and deliver and, and, and restore everything that sins made broken. Starting with our relationship with God. And then what does Philip say? Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Nathaniel, you remember, what, what did our forefather Jacob promise? In Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Nathaniel, do you remember? Do you remember Isaiah 42, 1? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Nathaniel, you will never guess who that is. It's Jesus of Nazareth. The son, ready? Of Joseph! And then I think Nathaniel's own declaration just takes the cake, right? What did the Lord promise David? In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We've been singing about that today. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Or, or what did the, the prophet foretell in Zephaniah 3.15? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. And, and so whether or not Nathaniel realizes the full significance of who's standing in front of him, he gets Jesus right. Look at verse 48. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You are 2 Samuel 7. You are Zephaniah chapter 3. And the whole point of that, friends, is that in Jesus, God is satisfying our souls by giving us nothing less than the gift of himself. Because in Jesus, we, we discover the joy of seeing God and knowing God because Jesus is the one who, who restores our relationship with God through his life and death and, and resurrection. And for that reason, verse 51 is arguably the high point of this entire passage. And I'll warn you, tuck this away for the future. Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, that is his way of underlining and circling and double highlighting in two colors till it looks brown and starring and bold and all caps with a trail of emojis. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
He's saying to Philip and Nathaniel, guys, remember Genesis 28 where Jacob had that dream at Bethel? And he saw a ladder set up on the earth with its top reaching into heaven? Well, that ladder represented free, unhindered access into the presence of God. Hey, guys, you ready for this? I am that ladder. That's what he's saying. I I am the only way to the Father. I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. To, To come to me is to commune with God because I am heaven open. I am God revealed. I'm not just a son of man. Look at verse 51. I am the son of man. Par excellence. God in human flesh. Being a Christian means knowing Jesus for who he really is. And continuing to see and rejoice in Jesus for who he is. The the promise Jesus made Nathaniel. Look at verse 50. Hey, buddy, you thought that was cool? You'll see greater things than these. Where is that fulfilled, friends? It's fulfilled at the end of the Gospel of John, at the crucifixion of the Son of God, where in the one hour of his greatest humiliation, we see the one hour of Christ's greatest exaltation. And when you become... A person who who knows and beholds, sees Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, your Savior, guess what happens? Not, Not just once, but every day of your life. We are ravished by his glory and we are empowered by his spirit to exchange all the fading treasures and trinkets of this world for the joy of following him wherever he leads. We we hear Jesus' voice summoning us the same way he summoned Philip, my son, my daughter, follow me. And we say with the same grateful awe and wonder, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will follow you. Where where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. In every area of life, at all times, in all situations, no matter what I'm thinking or I'm feeling or they're saying or I'm hearing, I will follow you. I'll obey you. And friend, that's what it means to be a Christian. The essence of Christianity isn't doing good things for God. We're getting good things from God. It is knowing and following Jesus as the son of God. And we follow him because we know him. And the more we follow him, the more we come to know him. Here's the final lesson. To follow Jesus is to compel others to join us. To compel others to join you. I I think one of the most striking things of this entire story is is the way that Jesus' followers immediately do and say exactly what Jesus is doing and saying. What, what, What did Jesus say to Andrew in verse 39? Look there. What did he say? Andrew and his friend, come and see. What did Philip say to Nathaniel in verse 46? Come and see. 
What did Jesus do in verse 43? He found Philip. What does Philip do in verse 44? He found Nathanael. Part of what's so amazing here is that nobody tells Andrew or Philip to go and bring others to Jesus. Did you notice that, right? No one, Jesus included, says, hey, by the way, I'm cool and all, but, but, but I'm, I also need you to, I know it's going to be hard, but you ready for this? You got to tell other people. <sighs> no, not at all. Not at all. It was their immediate and instinctive response. As if it was the most obvious and natural thing in the world to do. And it forces a really important question, friend. If you are not, and I know Christians who have never once brought somebody else to Jesus. If that's the case in your life, if you're not really engaged in personal evangelism, friend, could it be that that's because you've actually lost sight of Jesus for who he really is? Think about that. From from John the Baptist in verse 35 to Nathaniel in verse 49, that the men who encounter Jesus cannot help but speak of what they have seen and heard. His goodness and his beauty, it just consumed them. They could no more stay quiet than my three boys can stay quiet when they open the birthday present of their dreams. I mean, I, I, mean, I would have to like put my hand over the... I got it! You know? They couldn't be quiet. Because to know Jesus is to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to bear witness to Jesus. Not, not begrudgingly or dutifully, but, but gladly and freely. And that's a theme that we're just going to see coming back over and over again in the Gospel of John. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so, I am sending you. And you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I asked you that as God gives you opportunity to share Jesus with someone, even just part of the good news of the Gospel, to let me know so we can be encouraged by that. And, and I loved what one of our college students, Garrett Rozier, wrote to me recently. He says, a couple of Sundays ago, we read James 5.20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This verse struck me because I immediately thought of a friend of mine. I'd had opportunities in the past to share the gospel with him, But when I heard this, I prayed that God would give me an opportunity to share again. God answered that prayer the following night. (laughs) If you pray, get ready. When we had a very lengthy conversation about what it means to be saved and following God with all your heart, it was encouraging for me to see how much the conversation provoked him, and I hope to have more opportunities in the future. I'm thankful to God for giving me the opportunity and answering my prayer. We have the best news in the world, Garrett says. And we need to share that with everyone. He's right, friends. What, What does John say was the very first thing Andrew did in verse 41? When he began following Jesus, look at that. He first found his own brother, Simon. 
Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, pal. You, you need to take a course in apologetics. You need to attend a Sunday school curriculum so you can acquire a thorough foundation of the essence of Christianity. You better not open your mouth. Let, let's bring in a professor. Hey, Jesus, get over here. Because you might say something that's not quite theologically correct. Why don't you spend some time kind of growing in personal holiness so that when you open your mouth, you, you can actually back up what you're saying with decades of life experience following Jesus. <laughs> no. He first found his brother. You got to check out Jesus. And he didn't know at that point half of who Jesus was. Follow his example, friends. God, God, help us to follow his example. Don't, don't wait for your family members to ask you. Don't, don't wait for your friends to call you. Find them. Move toward them. Oh, open your mouth and, and tell them what Jesus has done for you. you. You cannot change their heart, right? God doesn't put that weight of responsibility on you. You can't make them follow Jesus, but what can you do? Like Andrew with Peter, you can bring them to Jesus. You know, toward the beginning of last year, I, I began praying that the Lord would not let a year of my life go by without giving me the privilege of personally leading at least one person to faith in Christ every year. And the Lord has answered that prayer, and, and I'm asking him to continue to do that, friends. Not, not, not because it's some kind of sales quota or, or a religious pitch, but because telling people about Jesus is an act of love. And it's an act of worship. Because to, to follow Jesus is to what? Tell other people about Jesus. Because he's that good. To be a Christian is to know and follow Jesus as the Christ, because that's who he really is. And I want to conclude, Kevin, if you bring the team on up, but by making a personal appeal to those of you like me who have grown up in the church, okay? Here's what I want you to hear from me. Please, please listen carefully to Pastor Matthew. Guys, do not ride on the coattails of your parents' faith, or your friends' faith. I, I, I am grateful for the people in this church that see Jesus and are following Jesus, but, but friend, you have to come and know Jesus for yourself. Just, just like Nathaniel, just like Simon. And if you say to me, Pastor, how will that happen? Well, I say to you, by opening the pages of God's word, and asking him to help you see Jesus for who he really is. If you're going to have faith in Jesus, it's going to require two things, friend. It's going to require a faithful witness and a personal experience. And if you've grown up in the church, you've received this. The faithful witness. But only Jesus can give you the personal experience. So please don't assume that 
Labor for it. Seek to understand Jesus and his ways. Make your driving ambition, your greatest ambition, what you want the most in your life, more than anything else, is to know and follow Jesus. Because he's not a shiny coin that we stuff in a spiritual pocket. He's a house of treasures waiting to be explored. And so may you say, whether you have just begun to follow, followed him for years, or still trying to figure out what it means, what a group of Greeks who were brought to Philip in John 12, 20, said back to Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus.